This is the Fire Trainers Podcast, Season 2, Episode 12, published on November 23rd, 2021. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and our topic today will be talking about OC spray. Our podcast is part of the concealedcarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites, the best sites in any light. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by Elite Survival Systems. Our students look to us for recommendations for top quality gear, and I have no problem recommending Elite Survival Systems gear. They offer a lifetime guarantee, and most of their products are made here in the USA, helping employ U.S. workers. I use the Guardian EDC backpack and have found it to be one of the most versatile backpacks I've ever used. Plenty of room inside, and the laser cut molly on the front and back allow attachment of plenty of additional gear. And that's on top of the space inside for a tablet and additional EDC gear. Their motto is, don't just survive, thrive. Visit EliteSurvival.com to see their complete lineup of quality products. We bring this podcast to support in the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by Chuck Haggard from Agile Training Consulting. Welcome, Chuck. How are things going today for you? Busy, very busy, but fortunately, that's died down a little bit today. Well, that's, that's good. Keeps us out of trouble, right, when, when we're busy? Yeah. <laughs> or, or deep in trouble, one of the two. Yeah. Yeah. In your line of, line of work, I could see where you could be deep in trouble for it. My line of work, if I, uh, it keeps me out of being in trouble by being busy. Um, well, hey, Chuck, before we dive into our topic today, can you give our listeners a little bit of your uh, background? Um, so I got a little bit of military. I'm currently in my 34th year of law enforcement. Uh, did 28 years with uh, Topeka, Kansas PD before I retired there. Left there, worked for a small sheriff department north of uh, where I live. And then uh, about a year into retirement, I started to work for the air, airport police and fire here at our airport in town. And because uh, I didn't have enough to do, um, I'm old enough that one of my recruits is now the sheriff of the county I live in. <laughs> and so I'm a uh, part-time deputy for the county as well. Um, and as you mentioned, have my own training business, agile training and consulting, uh, which most of my training through my, my adult life had been military or police, of course, primarily, you know, law enforcement, uh, world. And then, uh, as I was retiring, I got more and more requests for things that were not cop stuff. So I started my own company so I could follow up on that. Well, we, we definitely appreciate you uh, c- coming on today to talk about because uh, we were finally able to meet in person at the Guardian Conference uh, out there in Oklahoma City. And you were doing a seminar on OC sprays, which when I saw it, realized that, that would be a great topic for our instructors to think about because even though we're the Firearm Trainers podcast, there's a lot of situations where a firearm isn't necessarily the best uh, tool to uh, solve the problem at hand and talking a little bit about OC sprays today, I think would be very enlightening for our instructors out there. Sure. So I got started teaching OC in a law enforcement paradigm. First got exposed literally and figuratively to OC about 1988, might've been 89. I'm pretty sure it was 88. It's been a while. And, uh, 
<clears throat> excuse me, my allergies acting up today. Uh, so was teaching that at the instructor as an as an instructor in the law enforcement paradigm. Since then, I'm involved with one of my other side gigs is a National Law Enforcement Training Center out of Kansas City. And the entire premise of that organization is reasonable use of force for uh, police. So we do instructor uh, certifications so that officers can go back to their department and be an instructor for their department or to their state or whatever, because we have students from all over the world. And uh, one of my primary things that I do is the OC instructor development stuff for, for that. And then some years ago, uh, Tom Givens asked me to come up with a class for something to do with pepper spray for the tactical conference, which uh, I've been uh, privileged to teach at for I don't know, almost 10 years now, maybe more than 10 years. And uh, Tom wanted me to teach something. So I was thinking about less than lethal options, you know, something besides a gun for people who are not cops. What are reasonable? What, you know, what, what's a reasonable thing to, to look at, you know, um, as far as it's viable for carry, that sort of thing. And when you're at a large conference, you have to have kind of a grabber for your, you know, your class. Mm-hmm. Uh, title or something you know uh, nobody <laughs> nobody wants to go to like fundamentals of marksmanship you know it's just not it's just not exciting even though that's what most people really need it doesn't um, have that nice grabby title to it that we all like you need you need something like you know repelling out of flaming helicopters and then everybody wants to do that because it's more tactical you know mm-hmm. and uh, came up with uh, the title for that class was something between a harsh word and a gun because when you think about it, vast majority of people have very little, if anything, between a harsh word and a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and my extension of that, uh, my logic for that is, is what I had noticed in the police world, and that comes across into the, the non-police world as well, is you can often get yourself out of trouble early. If one of the maxims that I've noticed of uh, interpersonal violence is if you use enough force, reasonable force early, you often don't have to use more force later to dig your way out of a hole. And I've seen that in a lot of police action uh, situations where they, they did or should have used a sufficient level of force early, but then... Um, you know, if you if you look at some of the incidents that we have on video, the officers allowed the whole thing to degenerate into a gunfight that, you know, didn't have to happen or never should have happened. So applying that to a uh, civilian defense paradigm, if you take an event, I use the George Zimmerman one uh, as an example. And we know, most people know some of the facts of the case. Uh, George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin had altercation, you know, confrontation turned physical. George was, uh, uh, Trayvon was getting the best of uh, George Zimmerman. George Zimmerman managed to get a gun out, get a shot off, kill Trayvon Martin. Well, we, what we know about tactics is, is that he was lucky, one, to get the gun out, not end up in a gun grapple. And then two, he was lucky to get a shot off and actually have the gun function. And then three, he was lucky that it hit Trayvon hard enough to stop him 
from continuing the fight. You know, those were, that, that was a case of fortuitous outcomes can reinforce poor tactics. Uh, if you look at the paradigm of like Craig uh, Douglas's ECQC training, mm-hmm. a lot of times when you introduce, uh, you try to draw a gun in a close quarters fight, um, that doesn't work as well as people think it does. Like, I'll just shoot him. I've demonstrated in training to people and I have done this in real life with real people pulling guns that if you make a poor timing decision and you try to pull a gun at close quarters, you often lose that gun um, in, in the fight. So George lucked out and then we know he was prosecuted for murder and eventually had to go through the trial process and everything. But I asked people kind of a Socratic question. If during uh, the course of that conversation early on, George Zimmerman had pepper sprayed Trayvon Martin and then backed off, what are the odds that any of us would have ever heard of either Zimmerman or Trayvon Martin? And the odds are almost zero because it would would not have been a fatal shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's the kind of example I talk about. If you if he used enough force early it probably would have saved him a lot more force later. And then all the drama that goes along with that. Right. A story about somebody being uh, pepper sprayed is not um, a leading story for, you know, local news and or <clears throat> national news. So that's, that's not, a good, not, good comparison. You're not going to be on CNN over, you know, a pepper spray incident. It's just, just not the way it works, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, it, it gives us a tool that is a uh, demonstrably not lethal, uh, not, uh, <laughs> so in the police world, they'll use lawyer language, uh, like with, with impact munitions or what people think of as shotgun launched beanbags. Initially those were billed as non-lethal ammunition. Well, there were people getting killed with these things. You, know, you hit somebody in the face or the neck or sometimes close they range. Squash. Yep. Yeah, they'll 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 get between a rib. There's cases of it penetrating skin and hitting the heart, things like that. So, well, we won't say it's non-lethal. We'll say, we'll say it's less lethal, like less lethal than gunfire. But we didn't tell you it was non-lethal. The thing about pepper spray is it's truly non-lethal. What we're talking about ingredients-wise is basically a weaponized food condiment. Um, you know, it's the same active ingredient that you would find in like. Louisiana hop sauce, or, you know, uh, if you eat habaneros or something like that, because the, the active ingredient is typically in the industry derived from cayenne pepper. So, um, food grade ingredients, uh, very medically, tactically safe, very easy to defend in court, uh, as a, a truly non-lethal weapon, not likely to cause uh, death or great bodily harm or even any injury at all is uh, what is most typical. If we look at the police world for an example of what we're talking about as far as how low a level of force is, uh, the Canadians are typically better at putting science on this sort of thing than we are. And the Calgary Police Service looked at all their uses of force for several years, figured out that the safest thing in an arrest and control scenario that you could do is put pepper spray on the suspect. Because the odds were the suspect wasn't injured or the officer wasn't injured. What we found out here in my old job was that typically it, it did what one of my mentors called took the fight out of the fighter. You'd pepper spray a guy, 
you muscle them into cuffs, done deal. Mm-hmm. Whereas or we'd end up on the ground, ground fighting in the gravel, things like that. Typically, you know, everybody gets scuffed up at minimum. You get road rash and that leads to things like blood transfers and that kind of thing. Fighting people in my life, I've been exposed to like confirmed exposures to things like hep B, hep C, HIV. Um, so if I can avoid that sort of thing, I'm absolutely going to do it. Yeah, I can see um, that. One of the things that I note in the industry is I see guys, it's almost like they take it as an affront to their masculinity. Well, I don't need pepper spray because I've got, you know, whatever, combatives, Krav Maga, whatever you got. Okay, sure. But but if I can avoid touching uh, nasty people, if I can avoid blood transfers, if I can avoid, uh, you know, the potential for all of that, why, why would you not? Mm-hmm. Why would you not? I've, I've done jujitsu on the pavement with people and, uh, it's not the same thing as uh, in the dojo with my friends. Yeah. To say the least. So what type, what type of OC sprays there are? I know, um, you know, I've heard, I've heard of the, they got the misters, they got the foams. Uh, what, what's a, what's the different, uh, applications for those different types uh, of, uh, applicators. So I'm going to. A big internet myth that I'll uh, pop that bubble right away. So bear spray versus making air quotes here. I know nobody can see them. Pepper spray, but bear spray is pepper spray. Uh, The active ingredients in bear spray and pepper spray are exactly, or OC spray are exactly the same thing. There's no such thing as police strength. Uh, The internet will tell you bear spray is less powerful than um, police strength pepper spray which is ridiculous on the face of it, because if you're going to spray grizzly bears, why would you water it down? The, does that make any sense to anybody? Uh, bear sprays are a very large cone-shaped mist fogger. So, and because they're the size of a small fire extinguisher, they just have a whole lot of output um, and a lot of pressure, a lot of range. So if you shrink that down to something that'll fit in a pocket or on a police duty belt, what we look at is what we call a cone-shaped mist, which is kind of a mini fogger. You have the streamer that comes out the end in a coherent stream, and it kind of gets splattery at the end. So think about like something a squirt gun or a super soaker would shoot out. Uh, you have gels, and then you have foams. Um, and that's that's basically it. So uh, for, for the small stuff, cone-shaped mist, streamer, gels, and cones. And if you get down into the very compact pepper sprays, uh, like the, some of the pocket, the keychain keychain units, a uh, good example of that would be the Palm POM brand uh, um, that are fit in your pocket or fit on a keychain. Those are a streamer almost exclusively because when you have a package that small, uh, streamer is the only effective way to have a delivery system that works. Mm-hmm. So the cone-shaped mist is the one with the most aerosol and the most respiratory effect. Uh, OC spray will affect people by respiratory, by making them cough, gag, snot. Um, It'll make you kind of feel like you're coughing up a lung. Uh, And then on the the skin and eyes, particularly hitting your bad guy in the eyes is where it's really effective. 
because it'll cause uh, involuntary eye closure, copious tearing, and basically your eyelids want to slam shut and it, they will actually spasm. The term, the medical term is breathless spasm, if I'm pronouncing that right, because I'm pretty sure there's a Latin root in there someplace, uh, but it, it'll cause an involuntary eye spasm where your eyes want to slam shut. So that's that's where the stopping power of pepper spray really comes in. Uh, the streamers have less respiratory effect, but some. Uh, a cone-shaped mist, you can do something like fog an entire room or um, leave a cloud of OC behind you if you have to escape someplace down an alley or something like that. Streamer, not so much, but it'll have a respiratory effect on the person you spray. And then the entire premise of the gels and the foams is that they have no aerosolization of the agent, so there's no respiratory effect at all. Yeah, overspray for other uh people not involved or in inside mm -hmm. a building. So the uh, air conditioning system doesn't spread it out throughout the building, those types of things. Yeah. Where that really pays off, off is if you're like a security guard in a hospital emergency room, obviously you know, you got critically ill or injured patients and you don't want to like fumigate the place with a uh, pepper spray. So that would be the case where I would use something like a foam versus a cone-shaped mist or a streamer. But uh, mostly, for most personal defense uses, I actually greatly prefer, from my experience, something that has both a respiratory effect and effect on the, the face and the eyes, because uh, that, that gives you just that extra, you know, quote, stopping power, for want of a better term. Does, does it always work on everybody? Well, nothing always works on everybody. Um, I use an example of the, the second officer-involved shooting incident that I was a party to. We had a bad guy that took a 45 just left of his sternum. It cut his aorta uh, partially and exited his back. I saw the coroner's report. He had an exit hole seven-eighths of an inch in diameter. And that guy was on his feet and dangerous running around with a shotgun for probably at least three minutes. Um, didn't, didn't even slow him down or affect him until he lost enough blood pressure. So, uh, does that, does that mean 45s don't work or that we abandon pistols because they're ineffective? Yeah. You just file it under, you know, that, that stuff happens in my experience on the street, pepper spray works at least, uh, 90% of the time. And by that, I mean, no higher level of force needed to be used. We would typically spray dude, muscle dude into cuffs, take him to jail. Um, and then where it's ineffective, uh, in my experience, it still has some effect. Uh, I ask people all the time, let's say you were an MMA fighter. And right before the bell rings, you have won the coin toss. And right before the bell rings, you have the option of doing a three stooges eye poke right into your opponent's eyes. Uh, one second before the bell rings. Are you going to take that advantage in the fight? Definitely. Yeah, obviously you are. So uh, what it typically does is even when you have to apply a higher level of force in a law enforcement scenario, it still has an effect in diminishing your bad guy as far as their ability to see, breathe, or fight. Uh, or all the above. Uh, my observation and experience in a non-law enforcement setting, it's more effective because what regular people don't have to do that cops have to do is lay hands on people and put them under arrest. 
So uh, several of my students have uh, success stories that they've relayed to me where they have uh, had a contact with a bad guy, uh, maybe an aggressive panhandler. Uh, one of my students had a, had a very aggressive mentally ill guy uh, coming after her on the street and being able to pepper spray that person and back off call 911 or find a place of safety, that sort of thing. Uh, they found it to be a very useful tool. And thus far I've, I've had with a quality product and good training, I've had, had no failures on those reports. That's good. It's a useful, useful tool. I, I uh, definitely say tool. Um, uh, I hear that all the time. Uh, the internet says, well, pepper spray doesn't work or, you know, Okay. You know, I've personally been sprayed more than 60 times. I can tell you that if you pick a poor product, there's some of them out there that are literally a weak sauce, uh, you know, to steal that term. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've seen training issues, things like that. Uh, Back in the day when we first got it in the police world, we had to discover some of this by trial and error. Um, I've personally been sprayed more than 60 times between training and, and field exposure, I'll conservatively estimate I've sprayed 300 or more real bad guys in my career uh, in in real street encounters. And then in my training capacity, well over 2,000 students. Um, And with a quality product, good training, knowing how to hit people, uh, I've not seen this like, oh, it had no effect or, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I've not seen it once. Um, when you go along talking about hitting somebody with a spray, is there a specific target area that you're trying to, trying to uh, get on that person? Yeah. The, uh, the 10 ring for OC spray moves from, uh, that high center mass media era that you would use for uh, pistol bullets and, uh, right in the eyeball, your a answer with pepper spray is right in the, uh, you want to hit them directly on the eyes or the eye sockets. Um, and that works with all of the agents. Uh, some of them, like in my experience, the gel sprays are very slow acting. They're slower to kick in. I think it's an artifact of them being thicker and how they encapsulate the OC so it doesn't vaporize and, and aerosolize so that, um, you know, there's no respiratory effect. But uh, like the cone-shaped mist comes out in sort of a shotgun pattern if you will it it does what people think real shotgun you know we know real shotguns don't really you know they're not really street sweepers or alley cleaners you know you actually have to aim a shotgun mm-hmm. but the own shape mist has a spray pattern so wide at close range it's easy it's easy to engulf a suspect's entire head and neck area so you know it's in their mouth up their nose and in both eyes it's easy to to get a very accurate hit very quickly but with the other uh agents with the streamers the gels the foams uh, you have to aim them like you would uh, a gun uh, like a handgun and you have to be accurate for it to be effective so right in the eyeballs is what you want to go for okay you have any suggestions um Oh, obviously you're not going to carry, uh, walk around with the pepper spray in your hand and such. Um, we don't carry our firearms that way either, but how, how would you carry a aerosol canister, um, on you? That's a, that's a highly individual thing. Um, when I do like my pepper spray instructor courses or my user level courses, where I combine, uh, that training with things like, uh, managing unknown contacts, street encounter skills block, um, 
there there are pepper sprays with pocket clips you can carry inside your pocket like a lot of people carry a folding knife you can carry it in your pocket you can carry a keychain model things like that Uh, but i'll counter your statement just now Uh, we can't let's say you are leaving the office late it's after dark and you are walking through the proverbial uh dark scary parking lot that uh um, you know, people will worry about, we know you can't draw your pistol to low ready and go walking through the parking lot. People are going to call you in like a crazy person, you know, mm-hmm. um, might get to talk to the cops or something. Uh, you're not going to pull your cool guy knife out and, uh, you know, be ready to stab people. Uh, but it's, it's very socially acceptable. One of the, one of the things that a, a lot of the ladies that have trained end up with a keychain unit is because you can stage the pepper spray in your hand ahead of time when you're moving through these transitional areas where bad things can happen, like parking lots, um, and you already have you you already have it ready to go. So um, I've noticed this as a sociology thing. A lot of people don't even look at pepper spray as a weapon. Uh, I, I have corporate clients that have a no weapons policy. And uh, they'll ignore a lady having a pepper spray, you know, a keychain size pepper spray in her purse. Oh, well, you know, they're just going to overlook that. It's because it's so socially acceptable and it's, it's so innocuous. So you can actually, if you think about it, you can pre-stage that and be ready to go as part of your, your process of how to, how to negotiate transitional spaces. Like, you know, how do I make it? out of the Walmart to my car in the parking lot or across that proverbial, you know, dark parking garage after work, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but depending on your, just like holsters with, for pistols, you know, some people like pocket carry, some people like appendix, uh, some people like uh, strong side uh, inside the waistband, strong side outside the waistband. There's a few people that'll still do a shoulder holster. Maybe you're going to do off body carry and a purse or a fanny pack or something like that. So when you think about that, there, there's a wide range of carry modes. And uh, that's very true with pepper spray as well. Um, you know, and it, it depends on uh, you know, think about your pistol carry. Doesn't it, doesn't it often, um, you know, if you're going to be dressed a certain way to go to a certain place, can that change how you carry a gun or even what gun you carry? You know, maybe you need a, you can get away with a bigger gun that day or now I'm going to have to wear, a, I'm going to have to use a smaller gun because, you know, I'm wearing nicer clothes or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good yeah, the pepper, spray thing, the, the pepper spray thing is a very, uh, it, it's, it's very similar. Um, typically I'll walk around a uh, day-to-day basis with something small, like a Sabre Red uh, Mark Six unit or the Palm. Uh, I become very fond of the, the Palm pepper spray units. Uh, they're, they're very small, easy to fit into a pocket on a keychain. Uh, very easy. It's kind of like the Ruger LCP of pistol or, uh, you know, of pepper sprays. And that, you know, anybody can figure out a way to carry a Ruger LCP, you know, um, and then the palm is, is uh, pretty easy to carry. But then like when I walk my dogs in the morning, I will grab a bigger, like more of a police size MK3 unit that it's still a small unit, but it's the type of thing a cop would carry in a, in a small pouch on his uh, Batman utility belt. 
The reason I do that is because that's the smallest unit that you can have a cone-shaped mist. And then when I walk my dogs in the morning, if I run into a big, mean dog that wants to eat my little dogs, I have basically a mini bear spray in my pocket that's easy to carry in my sweatpants or something like that, that I can use on a dog to defend my dogs and, you know, maybe avoid uh, torching off pistol rounds in the middle of town. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll grab that bigger, slightly more capable pepper spray, uh, because I'm wearing, you know, I'm kind of dressed down, I'm wearing sweatpants or whatever, and, uh, I can get away with just easy to do. And it gives me a little bit more capability. Going back to what you were talking about with, uh, like taking them into a corporate environment and such, I'm pretty sure the TSA doesn't allow you to take them past the security checkpoints, but are is pepper spray generally uh, looked at that way when you're going into other, um, I don't know, like baseball stadiums, uh, government buildings, things like that from your experience? It's a, it, it's a very, it's very hit and miss. Um, but I have noted in a lot of places, particularly with the ladies and particularly with the keychain units, it's like, they almost ignore it. Um, in, in very many places, I've seen that, uh, you can't carry on the plane. That's a federal offense, mm-hmm. but yet TSA regulations say that you can carry it in your checked baggage up to a four ounce unit. A four ounce unit is a pretty big unit. So anything under a, a bear spray size, you can probably, you can, uh, put in your check baggage, um, completely legal. Uh, but other venues I, I have noticed just kind of, again, observation and kind of a, you know, a, a running sociology psychology experiment. There's a lot of people who just dismiss it, um, as being a weapon per se. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. couple last questions for you when it comes to instructor training, cause you brought up a lot of good points here. Where can instructors get this kind of uh, training so they can pass it on to their uh, students and things like that about all those different kinds of pepper sprays and how to use it pro- uh, appropriately and those kind of questions? So, <laughs> this is going to sound incredibly self-serving. Uh, so in the law enforcement field, there is a lot of organizations. Uh, the one I do on the side, National Law Enforcement Training Center, has been teaching LE uh, law enforcement instructor, uh, pepper spray courses since the 80s, uh, Safari Land, many of the other brands uh, like CTS, things like that, have their own um, brand name instructor school that they do something like that for. But one of the reasons I was asked to do a pepper spray instructor course uh, under my uh, agile business umbrella was uh, just demand because there was there was a lack of uh, anything else out there. The only one that I am aware of that is a non-cop pepper spray instructor course is the Sabre Corporation that uh, obviously if you if you have an instructor course under a brand name like that, um, it's going to be kind of kind of geared towards your products and that sort of thing. But looking around the country, I, I can't find another non-cop pepper spray instructor course, uh, besides mine and Sabres. So it was, it was by request that I came up with this. And, uh, it's been one of my more popular classes over the past, like three, four years. I'll tell you, since all the riots and everything last year, um, the, the demand for that training has really accelerated. Mm-hmm. And yeah, non-lethal is, uh, 
definitely one of those things that you want in those kind of situations uh, for. And here's my here's my last question for you, um, Chuck. I've heard early on uh, about using the wasp spray is as good as pepper spray. You want to dispel that urban legend? Man, that's uh, I don't even know where to begin without saying a lot of bad words. Um, the, the, the problem with that myth is, is it sounds plausible, but when you break it down and you look at reality, it's not. Uh, one, uh, what are we trying to do when we're using something besides guns is uh, we're trying to go for like not injuring people or critically injuring people or killing people or anything like that. So one of the problems of using Wasprey is you're going off label. And I seriously doubt the feds are going to take time in federal court to prosecute you for a violation of that labeling, but it's technically possible a uh, violation of federal law to utilize that in a manner not prescribed, which utilizing it, uh, you know, carrying it around as a weapon is something that that is off label. Mm-hmm. And then people have the idea that it's going to be somehow effective. Well, all poisons have to do with the dosage. Like if you drink enough water, you can kill yourself. You know, it'll, it'll throw you in bleed out your electrolytes and, and you'll go into a heart arrhythmia, that kind of thing. So wasp spray is made to take care of an animal that is one gram in weight. And so I'm about 220 pounds, which means I'm about 100 kilograms and a kilogram is a thousand grams. So I'm bad at math. I got to move a lot of uh, uh, decimals around there, but I'm a lot bigger than a wasp, you know, a one gram wasp, a 100 kilogram person, your, your neurological effect, although the wasp spray is going to be significantly different. Um, I will tell you that in my experience, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I left my previous job. I was a watch commander. So all of the major case files that uh, was all the reports that were generated by my shift by uh, all over the city, I would see those. And uh, I can point to cases like one in particular where a lady, uh, she was accosted by a guy trying to get into her car in a parking lot. And she was keeping a can of wasp spray in the car uh, as a defensive tool. She sprays this guy. She tries to run away. He runs her down. He beats her unconscious. He curb stomps her. He goes back and gets the can. He empties it in her face and then kicks her in the head and walks away. Uh, I can point to case after case after case where wasp spray failed to have any effect on a human being. It just doesn't work. And in people that give this advice, treat it like some sort of ninja secret. Like you don't need that. Just wink, wink, uh, get wasp spray. And the other thing is it's not portable. If you look at a can of wasp spray, it's the size of a, a full size can of spray paint. How are you, can you put that in your pocket? Is that convenient to carry in your purse? It's not, it's absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so with lack of effect, uh, lack of portability, I mean, if you're going to carry something that size, go buy a bear spray because we know that works. I mean, it works on bears, Uh, works on people really well. But if you want to carry something the size of almost a small fire extinguisher, you might as well go get something that works. Yeah. Well, thanks for dispelling that because that's one of the things that I heard early on. And I kind of cringe every time I hear, hear about it because of those uh, same, same facts that you just brought up. I just get, I get Forrest Whitaker. eye every time somebody brings that up, 
Uh, and that, that's just one of those myths that absolutely needs to die. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, well, we'll put one more stake in the uh, heart of that using wasp spray in this uh, podcast. Quick question for you, Chuck. Do you have a book or instructor that you'd like to recommend to our other instructors that are out there that they should uh, look into taking some training from? Um, so a couple of recommendations. One, one is my go-to. Uh, one of my mentors is Tom Gibbons. If you're a concealed carry instructor, pistol instructor, anything like that, you really need to go with whatever instructor credentials you have, you need to go train and get Tom Gibbons instructor certification through range master. Um, his history of success and the concealed carry. It, if you look at not what he can do, but what his students have done, his history of success in real world concealed carry people, uh, critical incidents, shooting incidents, things like that is unparalleled. Uh, there, there's, there's nobody's got an excess, a success rate like his or, or that kind of volume. Uh, the last I talked to Tom and I was AI in for him a, a few weeks ago. Um, I think he was over 50,000 students that he trained. Uh, I'm not sure how many of that, you know, most of them would not be instructor level, but he's got a lot of concealed carry people, combative pistol courses, things like that. But uh, here recently, more and more appreciate a friend of mine, Brian Hill, with the complete combatant. He's a, goes on the road. He's an HK ambassador. Um, he'll train with uh, Scott Jedlinski, a modern samurai uh, project. But uh, Brian Hill, uh, noticing, looking at people, how they work with students on the uh, on the range. And I've, I've been a lot of places. I've trained with a lot of people, done a lot of things. And right now, I think Brian Hill is the most underappreciated coach in the business. Um, and he may well be the best pistol coach that I've ever seen as far as working with an individual student, uh, diagnosis, uh, picking up things that they can do to improve. Um, he really, uh, he's really exceptionally good at that. Mm -hmm. Well, Brian's on my list to have on the uh, podcast. Um, we just had his uh, wife recently on talking about her decision based drills, um, Shelly. And one last question for you, uh, Chuck, where can instructors find more out about you, the classes you're teaching in your company? So, uh, my, my company's agile training and consulting, uh, but you know, you get the internet domain name that the uh, internet gods give you. So, you know, agile training and all this was already grabbed by somebody else. So mine is www.agiletactical.com. Uh, have, uh, my calendar is, I need to update it again. I got a couple more things I need to add, but my calendar's on that site, um, the information about some of the classes that I'm doing. I've got uh, classes upcoming uh, into the next year. Um, uh, very excited. I know may not be in time for the this podcast, but uh, I'm one of the guys that's been invited to uh, an event called Revolver Roundup. We're being hosted at Gunsight this year, which is quite an honor for me. Um, you know, to go back where. Colonel Cooper started teaching and that kind of thing. I have not been there before, so that's quite the honor. But uh, I've got pepper spray instructor schools coming up next year. Uh, I'll be involved with primary and secondary 
event in Utah. Uh, I've been invited back to go to Oklahoma for the Guardian Conference again. I was a, a privilege to be invited there by uh, my friend Riley Bowman this year uh, to teach down there in Oklahoma City. That was a, that was a lot of fun. Good group of people um, at that conference, and uh, got some other stuff going on uh, next year. But yeah, my calendar would be on the site. Good. Very good. And the, uh, they just announced the, uh, dates for the, uh, guardian conference. And that's going to be September 16th, 17th, and 18th of, uh, 2022 and registration is open. If people are interested in it and are you teaching at TACCON again this year? Yes, sir. I am. Okay. Super. Am. So unfortunately I know TACCON is currently full. They've got a waiting list for those people that might want to try to get on if the, if the waiting list opens up, um, otherwise, mm-hmm. uh, probably have to try to catch you in 2023 at TACCON. Yeah. When TACCON opens, it is best not to dilly dally and grab the registration because it typically sells out in less than 30 days. Mm-hmm. Just amazing. And then, number and the quality of the instructors they have there, including yourself is uh, pretty phenomenal. I'm trying to get down there one of these years. Uh, it's on my bucket list. It's a, it's definitely a huge bang for the buck as well. Um, uh, very good value for your training dollar. Mm-hmm. Well, Chuck, thanks for your time today. And uh, we'll be seeing you around. I appreciate the invite. That's a wrap for this episode. We want to announce this week's winner of some really cool gear. This week's winner is Jake, and they want a nine millimeter dummy round pack from Ready Up Gear. Next week, we're giving away a Draw Like a Pro course. Visit podcast.concealedcarry.com to enter in for our weekly prize giveaway. Remember, you can't win without entering, and your entries do not carry over from week to week. Also, check out our website where you can search for various topics from teaching students with handicaps to additional training available to instructors at firemtrainerpodcast.com. Have any ideas for new episodes, suggestions on guests to have, or feedback? Please email us at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Check out the other concealedcarry.com podcast also, the original Concealed Carry podcast with Riley Bowman or the Off Duty On Duty podcast with Brian Eastrich. Visit our sponsors, especially the Fire Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and every firearm instructor in America like you that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.